So when I was a when I was a kid, I really loved Easter because at my house, what that meant was there was this one particular day that I woke up. It was kind of like Christmas almost, not quite as big, right? I didn't get like as many things, but unlike Christmas, I got a ton of candy. Like Christmas, you know, you get a little bit of like candy and a stocking if your family's in that kind of thing. But like at Easter, you get like a whole basket of candy, right? And then in my family, like. Um, not only did you get like a basket that was just like full of candy, I'm not sure why parents like choose to give their kids like a bunch of candy because then they hate that they've given their kids candy. Um, but they did. And I, and so I would just like pound this whole basket of candy, pretty obvious. Right. And then I would just ride my bike for like four days around the, the neighborhood. Right. Because there's going to be so much sugar, but also there would be some like new toy or something. It usually wasn't like, you know, like at Christmas, you get like the big thing, like a bike or like a gaming console or something like that. But at like Easter, it was like a new, like soccer ball or something, but there was like something, some kind of new like toys. So there was just candy toys. And then, then there was the egg hunt and my family used real hard boiled eggs. Like we didn't use this little like plastic stuff. It was like real eggs. So like Friday or Saturday, we would dye them, uh, all like crazy colors and that kind of stuff. And then Saturday night after we went to sleep, my dad would hide them around the house and stuff. And, uh, using real eggs made it very interesting. My parents seemed to be a lot more interested in us finding all of them than we were. (laughs) you'll get that later. Um, There was one particular time that we didn't find all of them, and that one eventually found us, right? Uh, Because it smelled real bad. Uh, But so at my house, when I was like like a really, I was like a really little kid, my family, we didn't go to church at all. And so Easter Sunday wasn't like a day that we got in like fancy clothes and went to church or anything. It was just like a normal day, but I got to wake up and get like candy and like some new toy or something and find some eggs, which I never really understood. I was like, oh, here's some eggs. It's cool. It's fun to like find things that are hidden, but it's also kind of weird that they're eggs. But then there's also candy. There's like a bunny that supposedly brings the eggs, which is weird because bunnies don't have anything to do with eggs. Um, it was real, really confusing to me. But Jesus and this whole like church thing was never really a part of that day for me until um, my family, when we, when we moved to Mississippi. So when I was like real little, I lived in Michigan. Uh, when we moved to Mississippi, uh, we lived with my grandmother for a while, um, who was a Christian, and she started taking us to church. And, uh, and there was this one summer when I became Christian, I was nine. Uh, it was a vacation Bible school, and I, and I gave my life to Jesus, whatever that, that means for a nine-year-old. I gave all I had to Jesus, committed to following him. Um, been some bumps along the way, but that, that was like when it started. That's when I was like, all right, Jesus, I need you to be my, my savior. Like, I believe the gospel, and I started following Jesus. Um, and it was, it was interesting. My parents a big part of me becoming a Christian was because a month earlier, my parents had become a Christian. It wasn't like because I felt pressured at all. It was because of the life change I saw in them. Like one of them, uh, for example, was my dad before becoming a Christian was, I mean, just a raging alcoholic, just drank constantly. The day he became a Christian was, I mean, like he, he hasn't drank a single drop since. Like he immediately was just like, boom. And stopped drinking alcohol. He stopped working as much. He used to work for like weeks on end so much so that I would ask like, is dad ever coming home again? Right. And so like, this was, this is where I, like when I was a little, little kid, that was, that was what I lived where I, the family I lived in, my mom worked at the bar that my whole family drank at. And so I was just at a bar from age like zero till eight, whenever we moved to Mississippi. Um, and so I saw the life change in my parents and I was like, oh, I want, I want that. Like, if my parents can change that much, as much as you can understand life change at nine years old, that was what what brought me to that. But the the real interesting thing was how Easter changed for us the next year round. You see, I mean, I still loved candy. I still do. Um, And I I 
and I still love toys and all that kind of thing, but Easter became a lot more important than just more candy and just another toy. It became a celebration of what God did, what Jesus did for us. And so my family, it shifted from being about a weird bunny bringing weird eggs and hiding it in my house for some reason and about candy and toys to being a real celebration and us coming to church, but even more than that, us honoring and celebrating what Jesus did for us. And so this is, this is that time of year. This is Easter week, also known as Passion Week, um, that we're in right now. And that's what we're going to look at. Um, we're not going to actually open the Bible, which is always weird for me whenever we don't, because I'm going to be covering several chapters. And so for us to read all of that would, would take forever. So I'm going to story through that. But if you want to write down Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew 26 through 28, that's, those are like the chapters we're covering. And so if you want to go back and read those for yourself, I highly encourage you to do that. Um, later on to see how Matthew actually wrote it. But I'm going to walk us through this. Um, it's interesting how all the gospel writers, I mean, they're writing uh, about Jesus's life and they, they give us key moments in, in all of this that they experienced or they knew somebody who had experienced uh, these moments that Jesus had healed someone or he taught this cool uh, lesson or that kind of thing. Uh, but we don't, we don't usually have like a chronology of what Jesus did. We don't have like a detailed, like this happened on this day and this happened on this day and this happened on this day. But with this Easter week, like Matthew especially, like he, he's, he's telling the story of Jesus' life and, and kind of gets through these three years. And then all of a sudden, he spends three chapters on this one week of Jesus' life. He spends three chapters on just this one week. And so I, I want us to walk through, <clears throat> I want us to walk through, um, Walk through this. So I can only imagine at this point. So we've, we've been walking through the book of Matthew, and we've, uh, we've talked about the Sermon on the Mount, several things in that. Um, and last week, um, I believe it was last week, we talked about this time whenever Jesus had told the disciples, hey, we're about to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be arrested and killed. And Peter, you know, freaks out. Peter's like, no, that's not going to happen. What are you talking about, right? Uh, and so the, the disciples... This is, this is where we're picking up in the story. They're on their way into Jerusalem. I can only imagine how the disciples felt. Could you imagine if you're there, if you're hanging out with Jesus, and he's told you several times, hey, when we get into Jerusalem, I'm going I'm to be arrested and I'm going to be killed. Can you imagine the emotion of that? Like you're riding into, like Jesus is riding on a donkey, um, and you guys are, are, are coming into Jerusalem, and you, you've been told several times what's about to happen in Jerusalem. But interestingly, um, as they walk into Jerusalem on Sunday, which, would have, which we called uh, Palm Sunday, which was this past Sunday, if we're talking about the chronology here. As they're coming into Jerusalem, it's, it's often referenced as the triumphant entry. Because as Jesus is coming in, riding in on this donkey, people are singing his praises. They're lining the streets, chanting his name. They're laying out on these palm branches in front of him as he's, as he's coming into uh, Jerusalem like a king, a conquering king coming back into his hometown after winning a battle. That's like that's how he's entering this to Jerusalem. And so, I mean, I can I can only imagine the disciples are a little confused at this point because Jesus has told them several times, "Hey, when we get in Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested and killed." But yet, as they're coming into Jerusalem, Jesus is being praised and celebrated. Like I would be really confused. And so, I kind of understand some of the confusion of the disciples over the, the next few days. But they they come into. Um, Jerusalem. And interestingly, Jesus, they come into Jerusalem. He has this sort of triumphant entry. And then he goes right outside of Jerusalem into a a little town called Bethany. 
this little town called uh, Bethany. It's kind of like what Madison is to Huntsville. It's just kind of like an outskirts town or like Monrovia, that kind of thing. It's just like on the outside of Jerusalem. So he actually goes into Jerusalem, but then like immediately go, like, leaves <laughs> and goes into Bethany. Excuse me, dinner trying to come back. Uh, goes into Bethany, hangs out with his friend Lazarus. You may know a little bit about this guy. Uh, but he hangs out with him and Bethany uh, for a couple of days. And so he's in Bethany Monday and Tuesday of this week. Um, he's doing ministry. He's doing some teaching. He's doing some, uh, basically hanging out with his friend Lazarus for the first, or for the last time. Like this is the last time he's going to actually get to hang out with Lazarus in this way. And uh, and so Monday and Tuesday he's doing ministry. He's doing that. He's hanging out with Lazarus. And then Wednesday, actually Matthew doesn't really give us much detail of what happens on Wednesday, which is today, right? But we know. Jesus had sent the disciples to start preparing for the Passover meal. And so this, in, in the Jewish religion, this week is a week that they celebrate the Passover, which is uh, way back in Exodus, whenever the plagues came um, in Egypt, and all, all those plagues happened except for uh, to the Israelites. And then the final plague was um, the Spirit coming and taking the firstborn of every family who didn't have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And so this was this uh, week of celebrating and remembering what God, how God had saved Israel from bondage in Egypt, specifically in that, in this one way that was the final plague that left, that made Pharaoh let them go and let them, let them free. So Jesus had sent um, the disciples to go uh, prepare for this meal. And we know that on this day, on, on Wednesday, a passion week was whenever Judas began the conversations or at least outwardly beginning the conversations with the religious officials to betray Jesus, to hand him over to be arrested. And so, though there's not a lot of detail in Scripture about this day, there, a lot still happened on this day, um, on this week, mostly that Judas really set in motion what was really about to happen when he began plotting with the religious leaders. <clears throat> and then Thursday, things shift really quickly. Thursday, um, Starts like every other, every other day, basically. They do come back into Jerusalem at this point. They, uh, they end up having the Last Supper, and so they're doing this Passover meal. And Jesus then does this. If you've been around church, you've, done, uh, you've been in the room at least when we've done what we call the Lord's Supper, right? There's like a little cracker and some juice and that kind of thing. This is us remembering what Jesus did at this point. He took this Passover meal, which used to represent what God had done for the Israelites in the Old Testament and how he had rescued them then. And now he's telling them, hey... This now is going to be what you do to remember what I'm about to do for you, how I'm about to bring ultimate and final rescue for all mankind. And the bread represents my body being broken. And again, the disciples are being reminded, like, Jesus is supposed to die in Jerusalem. I can't imagine the emotion in that moment. Jesus is talking about this bread. You're going to take this meal and you're going to break the bread like this, just like my body will be broken for you in this this wine, or for us Baptist juice, um, is representative of the blood, my blood that will be spilled to cover your sins. This is a very deep, very emotional moment. And Judas is sitting right there, just a few seats down from Jesus, knowing what he's done. I can't even imagine what that guy's thinking at this point. <clears throat> and then after this meal, uh, all the disciples except Judas and Jesus go to this uh, garden. And there Jesus uh, is praying in this garden. And the disciples, interestingly, even though they know, hey, we're in Jerusalem, Jesus has said multiple times he's going to be arrested. Jesus is in this garden. He's praying, really, he's praying really hard. And the disciples keep falling asleep. Like Jesus comes back to, the, to where they are. Like he apparently goes further into the garden to pray than they are. And he comes back where they are. And they're like 
asleep. And so each time he comes back, he kind of gets a little more angry. Then how are you sleeping right now? Why are you asleep with what's about to happen? How can you even sleep a little bit? But they don't get it. They still don't quite understand what Jesus is about to do. Uh, But Jesus goes back and he's praying. And then finally, uh, Judas and these these soldiers and these uh, officials uh, sent by the chief priest, they, they come to the garden. Judas greets him with a kiss calls him teacher, and Jesus looks at him and says, do what you've come to do. That's it. He doesn't say, why have you done this? He doesn't say anything. He just says, do what you've, do what you've come to do. And then there's this, this interesting moment um, where the guards go to, like, get Jesus, and then Peter, oh, Peter, we're going to talk about him next week. <laughs> Peter means well, but he, he messes up a whole lot. So he grabs this one soldier's uh, sword and, wham, cuts his ear off, just whoosh. Cuts his ear straight off. Boop. Right? Make whatever sound effect comes with that. I don't know. I don't know. But he cuts this guy's ear off. And I don't know, I don't know what that guy does. I would just fall around and cry. Anyway. <laughs> my ear. That was my favorite ear. Right? Uh, and so this making funny in this moment. This guy's like ear gets cut off. Anyway. So Peter does this and Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not how this is going down. That's not how this is going down. A different account. Gospel account talks about how Jesus actually put this man's ear back on. But um, Matthew doesn't mention that. But Jesus ends up going willingly. He doesn't fight. He goes willingly because he knows that this is what's supposed to happen. And over and over and over again, as we continue to walk through this this story and and we eventually get to where Jesus is crucified, you'll see that theme over and over and over again where Jesus has the power, has every right to speak up for himself, to stand up for himself, has every bit of power to escape from everything, but he continually goes willingly. Continually goes willingly. So then he's brought uh, into the chief priests, um, the council and all that, and he's put on trial all these illegal trials. They weren't really supposed to be doing this, especially at night, the way they were doing it, but they were doing these trials and, uh, and they kept throwing all of these different things at Jesus, trying to blame him for blasphemy, trying because Jesus was proclaiming to be the Messiah. He was proclaiming to be the son of God. So to these men who firmly believed that Jesus was not, that was blasphemy. And they're trying to, they're, they're also starting to lose a little bit of grip on their control over the people over the crowds because the crowds were seeing what Jesus was doing and Jesus was healing the way he was teaching and all that. And so these religious leaders, this, this chief priest, especially he was starting to lose grip on the people, his control, his power and authority over them. And he didn't like that. And so he wanted Jesus gone no matter what he had to do, no matter how illegal it was, even though he was supposed to be a man of God, he was trying to do whatever it took illegal or not to get rid of Jesus. And so finally, after they've put him through all these different uh, trials that were really unofficial, really illegal, they bring him before this, this guy named Pilate, who was the governor of this area. He was the, he was the governor here. And he, he really worked for Rome. If you guys know anything about history, you, any of you guys like the Roman Empire, makes sense, right? So Rome controlled Israel at this point. And so Pilate, he really works for Rome. He, he's not really he really doesn't like the Jewish leaders at all. They didn't like him either. It was very much mutual. Um, but they bring, they bring Jesus before uh, Pilate and say, hey, you need to do something about this guy. You need to do something about him. And they throw all kinds of charges against Jesus, blasphemy, inciting riots, all, the, all these different things. But Pilate, 
Though he makes some foolish decisions over the next few moments and, and, and days, he's not an idiot. He knows that this Jesus guy is not guilty of any of this. And so he begins questioning Jesus. He says, are you, are you who you say you are? Are you really the son of God? And Jesus' only words he speaks to Pilate at all is, you said it. That's, it's, he says it slightly differently. That's my version of that. But he basically like, you, you said it. And then he begins questioning Jesus more. He's like, he's like, hey, you know that all of these things that these guys are saying against you, right? All the charges that they brought up against you, blasphemy, inciting riots, doing all this kind of stuff. Like, you, you understand the charges that they brought up before you. And Jesus just does, he doesn't respond at all. He doesn't offer a defense. And it says this actually amazed Pilate. Because I assume, and I mean, we can assume pretty easily, just by things we understand about human nature, the people who've been brought before Pilate before, who've been accused of something, whether they were actually guilty or not, they probably pled their innocence, right? Like everybody who's in prison thinks they're, they're innocent or whatever it was, even though, no matter how much evidence was to prove that they were guilty, right? Nobody wants to be sent to prison. Nobody wants to actually to be sent to death either, right? And so I'm sure Pilate has seen person after person after person after person plead their innocence and try to, to argue their way or discuss their way or debate their way out of prison or out of death. But here's this guy who Pilate knows is completely innocent and he doesn't say a thing. Doesn't say a thing. Doesn't try to plead for his innocence. Doesn't try to lay out, well, here are the three reasons why you should let me go, right? He doesn't say any of that. Jesus just says silent. I can't imagine the thoughts that went through Pilate's head. Uh, This man, clearly innocent, will not stand up for himself, doesn't defend himself. And then there's this story that Matthew stops for. He's been, he's been walking us through these events pretty quickly uh, of this day. And this, this, we're, we're on Friday at this point. Whenever Jesus comes before Pilate, we're on Friday. This has to be the longest day of Jesus' life. But there's a story where Pilate apparently had made it a custom that on this week, though he didn't really honor the Jewish religion, uh, much of that kind of stuff, his, his main goal and his job, what he had been told by Rome, was keep peace. Keep them from rioting, keep them from trying to take back control, keep peace. And they, he had been threatened at this point several times because Jerusalem is, was, was and kind of still is this hotbed of debate and riot and all kinds of stuff. And so basically, if he didn't keep peace, Pilate would be out. He'd be removed as governor, he'd be probably killed. And so he had built this custom for whatever reason that on this week, this uh, celebration week for the the Jews, that he would bring out two people from prison and let the crowds, the crowds would gather in front of Pilate's like mansion or whatever it was. uh, And he would say, pick which one you'd want to, you want to go free. And they would, they would yell and they would chant whichever person they would want to be set free. And Pilate would set that person free. The other person would go on to whatever punishment they, um, had been decreed to have at that point. And so this was the sort of customary thing, and Pilate knew that, and he said, okay, well, I'll take Jesus out here, who's clearly innocent. People seem to love him a lot, and then I'll bring this guy named Barabbas. It says, Matthew makes very clear that Barabbas was notorious. He was like lifelong criminal, murderer. Um, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was sentenced to be to be crucified. 
Barabbas was. Like he was, he was a murderer. He was, in, he was, he was actually inciting riots. He was, he had this like band of merry men who were trying to, to like gain control and take an, an overthrow Pilate basically. And so he was, he was on death row. So Pilate, from his perspective, this was a pretty easy choice. He was going to set Jesus, this man who seems to be a pretty crowd, crowd favorite and Barabbas, who's like a lifelong criminal thug, uh, like terrible human being is going to give these options before the people assuming that the people were going to choose Jesus to be set free, which he knew would infuriate the religious leaders, he and the chief priests, right? So remember I said earlier, Pilate and then the chief priests and these religious leaders, they didn't get along. Pilate knew that the charges that they had brought Jesus to him with were fake. They were false. And so he was going to do this and let the people choose. And this would just, I mean, just enrage the religious leaders. And so this is how the scene goes down. Pilate brings Jesus and Barabbas out there, and he does whatever pomp and circumstance that people like him do. And then he says, he says the question, which of, these, which of these two men do you want to be set free? And to Pilate's surprise, the crowd yells, Barabbas. Because what Pilate didn't know was that the chief priests and these religious leaders had been going through the crowd, and that you guys understand like the mob mentality. If you're on social media for like three minutes, you understand mob mentality, right? Like when one person says like a negative thing and like a bajillion other people have to say it too. Um, and so they've been walking through this crowd that's, that's uh, been hanging out in front of Pilate's house and they've been slowly turning them against Jesus. They've worked this crowd. They've spread lies about Jesus. And so by this point, the religious leaders had used this mob mentality against Jesus and against Pilate. And so Pilate's surprised. He's taken back by this. He doesn't understand uh, really why the crowd would do this. And so just, just for clarification, he asked the question, he asked the question one more time. He says, is it, wait, wait, which of, which of these two men would you, do you want set free? And yet again, the crowd yells, Barabbas! Now put yourself in the shoes of Barabbas for a second. All you know until this moment is that the next thing you're going to experience in life is death. You're sentenced to be crucified and killed. And then all of a sudden, there's this moment where a giant crowd of people are shouting for you to be set free. Can you imagine that moment? I don't know if I can. I don't know if I could wrap my head around that moment. Um knowing that you are sentenced to death. And then there's a second chance, or for this guy, there's probably like a million chance to be set free. I can't, can't even begin to imagine what that would be like. There were three crosses set up, ready to go, for three people on death row to be murdered, and one of them was meant for Barabbas. And yet this crowd is yelling for him to be set free. That's insane. Like, I don't understand. This criminal, this murderer is being set free. But Jesus, this healer, this man of peace, this teacher, is not. He's still in chains. He's still imprisoned. Like, I I can't even begin to wrap my brain around this moment. How much evil is being done at this point. But Pilate... He, uh, he says, okay, what do you want me to do with this Jesus? 
What do you want to do with Jesus the Christ? He throws us in there, because I don't know if you know this, the word Christ, it's a title. It means Messiah or Savior, right? And so, and so he's trying to remind them of who Jesus is or who, they, who Jesus has said he is, right? And he says, so what do you want me to do with, this, with Jesus the Messiah, the Christ? And they shout, crucify him. It doesn't say like exactly what they said back and forth, but it says that Pilate tried to reason with them. He was, and so I, I just imagine him, him trying to reason with them, saying, wait, 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 you want me to crucify this, this man? You, you realize that he's, he's innocent, right? You realize that he has if, even if he is guilty of even half of what the, um, the religious leaders have said, it's not deserving of death. It's not deserving of being crucified. And yet every time he tries to offer up some kind of like reasoning, the crowd just keeps chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Just getting louder and louder and louder. And so finally Pilate relents because what's his one job? Keep peace, right? If he sets Jesus free at this moment, he knows that there's going to be a riot and things are going to get crazy and get out of hand. Pilate, knowing Jesus is innocent, says, okay. He's, he's yours to do whatever you want with. And, and he does this like, he, he basically, he's like, I'm washing my hands of, the, of, of his blood. His blood is on your hands. And he like does this little like ceremonial washing his hands. But then interesting thing here, there's no water, there's not enough water in the world to wash the blood of Jesus off of Pilate's hands. Because though he had said, Oh, it's fine. He still knew Jesus was innocent. He still knew that Jesus wasn't deserving of death and allowed the people to sentence him to that. Jesus was not trying to proclaim his innocence even in that moment because he knew he had to give his life. He knew he had to give up his life. He had to be killed as a sacrifice for the sins of people like Barabbas. So that guilty people could be made innocent. He allowed himself to be chosen over Barabbas. Though he was innocent. Because his love for people like Barabbas, his love for you and me, is so big that he gave his life. You see, Barabbas was a terrible person. But in, from God's perspective, sin, no matter how much we think things may be worse or not, think murder is worse than you know, stealing or any of that kind of stuff, to God's sin is still all equally sin. And so in the eyes of God, Barabbas was no different than you and I. So on that day, Jesus going to the cross instead of Barabbas was Jesus going to the cross instead of you, instead of me. Barabbas was very much deserving of his sentence to the cross. See, but a lot of us, a lot of us like to act like Pilate and wash our hands of stuff and say, well, you know what? I, I, I get it. He's, I mean, I get the whole scenario, but I'm not really that bad of a person. I'm, I'm really okay, right? Like a lot of us would say, well, I'm not, I'm not a murderer like Barabbas. I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm not even, I mean, I don't really do you know, bad stuff. But like I said a second ago, the deal is that all sin, all sin 
no matter how much we think it is big or not, separates us from God. All sin equally offends God. Now, their earthly consequences vary drastically, and they should. But to God, all sin is equal. And so Pilate was just as guilty as Barabbas. You and I are just as guilty as Barabbas. But Jesus willingly goes and dies. And so that, at this moment, basically, Jesus is just swept up from this moment. He's, they put this, the, the, the crossbar of the cross on him, and he begins to walk. They begin to march him toward this hill called Golgotha, or means the skull, right, where they would crucify people. There are two crosses already there. Jesus is on his way up. He can't actually carry it because he was beaten. He was beaten so badly that you couldn't actually recognize that he was a man. You couldn't recognize that he was really human at all. He was beaten so badly. And he couldn't carry the cross anymore. And there's another man drug into this whole scenario to carry the cross the rest of the way for Jesus. And then he was murdered. He was crucified. At the, at the moment that Jesus died, there's this actually really crazy moment where everything goes dark. It wasn't supposed to yet. It was getting close to sunset, but it wasn't there yet. Everything goes dark. The whole earth shakes. This earthquake happens. And one of the coolest moments in this, uh, in this scene uh, of Jesus being on the cross is in the temple, there's this giant curtain. So I don't know if you know anything about the, the Jewish temple. I'm going to like sidebar for a second on this. There are these like courts, and they kind of get in smaller and smaller. And there was this one room that was probably half the size of the room we're in right now. It was called the Holy of Holies. The chief priest was the only person and only one time a year that was allowed to go in there because that was where the presence of God was. And so the chief priest was the only person allowed to go in the presence of God and one time a year to make sacrifice to try and cover for the sins of the people. And so the cool moment here is that this veil and this earthquake and all of this, that veil was torn all the way from top to bottom, symbolizing that now because of Jesus' death, because him taking on your sin and my sin, Barabbas' sin, Pilate's sin, all of our sin on him on the cross, those who believe in Jesus, who choose to follow Jesus, now have full access to God. They now have full access to the Father. There's no chief priest needed to go one time a year to go in there uh, to do some weird ceremony with an animal or that kind of thing because Jesus' death was the last and final perfect sacrifice to be done to cover for our sins. So we now have access to the Father. Jesus gave his life in our place. You see, he didn't, it wasn't just the physical death that was a big deal because you, you and I know people all the time who, especially in the military, right, they willingly go and they fight in battle and, a lot, and, and m- many of them lose their lives for us, for our way of life. For, and so it's not uncommon for someone to give their life for other people. And so we say, you know, Jesus gave his life for us. See, but it was more than just physical death. When Jesus was on the cross and he took on our sin, God the Father cannot be in the presence of sin. And so in that moment, when Jesus was taking on our sin, God turned his back on Jesus. And so Jesus felt separation from the Father. He felt what those who do not choose to follow Jesus and end up in hell, that's the main thing. That's the scariest thing about hell is separation from God. Even if you're in the room now and, you, and, you, and you're not following Jesus, you're not really a Christian yet, 
you still don't fully understand or know what it feels like to be completely separate from God, to never be connected with him. But that's what Jesus took on in that moment. It was physical death, but it was separation from God. That's what makes Jesus' death different than every other death. Jesus was also completely innocent, which no other man could say. No other human has ever been perfect. Jesus was perfect and innocent, physically died, but also experienced separation from God. And this, in this moment, a lot of people thought, well, in, in this day, they think, well, if he's the Messiah, then this is failure. People even stood before the, the cross and said, hey, if you're the Messiah, then you, should rescue your, you can rescue yourself. You can, you can pull yourself off of this cross, heal yourself, and be fine. But Jesus knew it had to be more than that. This was a surprising victory. This was a, a, a way that, that no one had seen that God had sent, though he had been foretelling of this for centuries. This was how God chose to win the battle, to make a way for us to be right with him. Again, so he died. He was laid in the tomb for three days. It was sealed. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, which is exciting because not only did he experience physical death, which we all at some point will uh, experience separation from God, but then he conquered that. He came back to life after having done that. And by conquering that, that's what made it all complete. That's what made, makes the, all of this a week worth celebrating. Not a week about bunnies and eggs and all of that, but that God sent his son to die, and then conquered that death by coming back to life. Jesus raising from the dead was him conquering sin, evil, and death. He showed his authority over all of those things. There was no other way, um, there was no other way for us to have a relationship with God, to be brought back into a right relationship with the Father. Sin had to be dealt with. Your sin, my sin, had to be, has to be dealt with. And Jesus did that on the cross. And he stands now offering the free gift of salvation for those who believe, believe in his death, burial, resurrection, admit their sins, and choose to follow him with their lives. That's what Easter is really about.